this is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour meeting under the covering title of the finished work. And we shall be <coughs> considering the Acts of the Apostles for a little period because this is the only inspired history we have that links the earthly life of Christ with the subsequent development of teaching that leads right on to your calling and mine in the glorious epistle to the Ephesians. And uh, <clears throat> there is this about it, that if we come to the scriptures, I always remember Dr. Bullinger saying to me once, he said, you know, there are two approaches to the word of God. You can use it as a bolster, to bolster up what you already think you believe, or you can go down as a bucket and come up full again every time. Which would you rather be, friends, a bolster or a bucket? I think the bucket's the one, don't you? If you come to these scriptures, if you come to the Acts of the Apostles, with the prepossession that it's already telling you that the church began here in this first chapter, then you will be obliged to follow in the line of those who have sadly come to the conclusion that the appointment of Matthias was an apostolic mistake. And when once you get the first mistake allowed in the the Acts of the Apostles, you'll get a whole series. Well, you may say to me, well, you're coming with a prepossession. Well, certainly, I, I have got a prepossession, but I believe it's based solidly upon what the Scripture says. So, without more ado, shall we begin to look at this Acts of the Apostles and see that we have an unbroken chain that links the whole story together. Now, first of all, we notice, if you will just think, without turning to chapter and verse, because for the moment our time is so limited. At the beginning of the Acts, we have the Lord occupying a period off and on through 40 days, opening up the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. And at the end of the Acts, we have the Apostle meeting the elders of the Jews, appointing a special day when the whole day long he opened the scriptures concerning Jesus. There was a beginning and an end to this book. And then in the first chapter of the Acts, in the upper room, in that little upper room, Peter said these words, that the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake. And in that, in that hired house, where he met those in the last chapter of the Acts, he said, well spake the Holy Ghost to our fathers, you see. So there's something there that says there's a beginning and there's an end, there's a complete statement. There's nothing unfinished about it. Some people jump to the conclusion when it says in the last verse, uh, no man forbidding him, that we've got to go on and find further ex extras. But when we get there, it'll be some little time when we get there, I think you'll see that is a concluding note instead of an extending one. <coughs> well now, if I, go, if I go back, I would like you to get one, <coughs> one passage, the 28th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, just for one statement. Just for one statement, and then I'll be able to link that with those that you know without turning to the actual scriptures because of our time. 28th chapter, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, into a, a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There were eleven disciples who saw him. Now I'm going to quote from 1 Corinthians 15, that our Saviour, after he was raised from the dead, he was seen by 12 apostles. 
The, the Apostle Paul writes, he was seen of the twelve, and afterwards, he says, he was seen of me, as one born out of due time. Would anybody in his senses, if he read that statement in the newspaper, conclude that Paul was the twelfth? There were only eleven in Matthew 28. Paul was not converted until Acts 9, and he hadn't seen the Lord till then. And yet he distinctly says that the twelve saw him. Who were the twelve? So should we look at the first chapter of the Acts to see that they had this in mind? I have on this board, you see, just these three items. Twelve thrones, twelve apostles, twelve nations. What about the twelve thrones? You remember the passage in the Gospels that our Saviour said, You that have been me, been with me. In the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit upon the throne of his glory, you shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, Peter could not say, all things are ready, come, as we found in the parable, because someone who knew the scriptures could have said to him, but you haven't got one throne, there's only eleven. Would you say, oh, that's a minor detail, not with God. He said twelve thrones, twelve tribes, each one having its own, as it were, judiciary, and here they are. So Peter is first of all concerned with that. Would you look now in Acts 1? It says in verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Let's put in brackets. It wouldn't make any difference to us if it was 130, would it? But 120, if you write it down in figures, is 12, isn't it? That's the first one. There's going to be a series of these twelves, as though it's going to rub it into you. <clears throat> Twelve. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So this man is not ventilating his own ideas. He's drawing attention to an Old Testament prophecy, which had now been fulfilled. And he says, we've got to do something about it. So it says, in verse, um, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, that is verse 20, his bishopric let another take. The word bishopric there is rather antique, but it's good enough. His office. Somebody else has got to step in and take the office vacated by Judas. Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must, there's a point there to remember, it must be from that group, must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. A witness in the New Testament is not someone who just heard somebody say something about something. You know the travesty of somebody told somebody and they told somebody else and the thing grows and gets so garbled. No, no. In the New Testament a witness is an eyewitness. He says, I was there, I saw it. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't there, but he was persecuting that very self-same little company a year or two afterwards, and was brought down to his, uh, to his face on the ground in Acts 9. So here was the gap. It was to be, it was to be filled. Now let's turn back with, with me to the uh, Gospel according to John, and see that the Apostle Peter had got a warrant for this insistence. 15th chapter, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, 
even the spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Well, this, of course, is pointing to the day of Pentecost, isn't it? Then it says, and ye also shall bear witness. Why? Well, because you're a very fine set of people? No. Because you're a very learned lot of people? No. One thing, you have the qualification of being a witness. You can say, I was there. In a court of law, there's no inquiry as to whether you've got letters after your name, whether you could pass the 11 plus or anything, as long as you've got common sense. If you can say, I was there, you stand in the witness box and give. But if you say, well, I wasn't actually there, stand down, we don't want your testimony, it isn't valid. So you see, our Saviour said, and ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now come back to Acts 1 and see how that was bearing upon Peter's testimony. Verse 21, we read it just now. Wherefore, of these men, which have comforted with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, isn't he basing it upon what the Lord said? So you see, anyone, for any reason, whoever they may be, however evangelical they may be, however much they may protest that they love the Scriptures, if they set aside Matthias and say Paul was coming to his place, they've got to do a lot of distorting and twisting of the words of Christ in the testimony of this book. I just make that, I'm emphasising that, because if we go wrong at the beginning, we shall go wrong all the way along. But if we begin to see that this number 12 had to be made up, then we say this is because he's dealing still not with the church, but with the people of Israel. Well now, if you look at the um, close of this, just the last few verses of chapter 1, we'll dip into chapter 2 very briefly. They appointed two men, Joseph, Corvus, Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. I will admit, there sounds a wee little bit as though Joseph, Josephus, uh, Joseph was the one that they perhaps fancied. He'd got a double name, and you know, even today, if, if I was hyphenated my name, we might have a few more people come to this meeting, but uh, don't worry, we're not. You see, anyhow, we won't say anything about that, we don't know. And they prayed, and the lot fell upon Matthias. Now look what it says in verse 25. They prayed, and they said, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now you see quite a number of interpreted that passage, that Judas might go to hell. It almost makes it rhyme, doesn't it? And I remember right in the early days, W.H. Griffith Thomas writing to me and saying, that's an interesting suggestion you made, will you go a bit further with it? That's W.H.G. Thomas was attracted. I said, look, just as you must have a brackets in verse 15, if you remove the brackets, are you going to tell me that Peter stood up in the midst of them and said the number of names were together about 120? Did he stand up and say that? Oh, no, it's put in brackets. You could pass it by if you wished and say, and said, men and brethren. But incidentally, the number was 120. So put brackets in verse 25 like this. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship for which Judas by transgression fell, and they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Not that Judas might go to his own place, but that Matthias might go to his own place. The reference to Judas falling is put in brackets. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, and that he might go to his own place, and they gave forth their lots. 
I leave it with you to puzzle out as to how far that fits with the story. Well now, what about the twelve? Would you notice that on the day of Pentecost, when it came, it says in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto the, the unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon eleven of them that left Matthias out. Does it say that? Would it say no? Well, look, friends, this is the spirit of truth. And in this very same book, because a man told a lie to the Holy Ghost, he was stricken dead, and so was his wife. Are you going to tell me that because Peter and the others were a bit prejudiced and made a mistake, that the Spirit of God says, oh, well, perhaps you better endorse it. Are you going to talk like that? There was not the slightest difference between Matthias and Peter on that day. The tongue of fire was on his head as on the others, and he was literally numbered with the apostles and took this place, a rightful place. We don't know how many there were who consorted with our Saviour from the beginning of his ministry at John the Baptist right to the day of his resurrection. We know there were 70 that he sent out, but we don't know a name of one of them. But here was Matthias all the time, known by Christ. But he said unto them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Yes, he knew. But he also knew Matthias was there, and at the right time he's put into his place. Well, now just one more word with regard to this day of Pentecost. It says in verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now that's the scripture. And they had come to keep the feast of Pentecost. I have been told that the church began at Pentecost, and it was baptized into one body at this place. Jew and Gentile all baptized into one body. Well, there's only 12 of them been baptized up to the moment. And they had tongues of fire because it was an index that they were the apostles. The baptizing by the Spirit followed later on. But there wasn't a single Gentile there. It says there were Jews out of every nation and they spoke the language of the country from which they came. The same as you meet a Jew today speaking Cockney English and you meet him with a Lancashire dialect or you get him with a, an American uh, intonation simply because they lived in their people, but because they couldn't quite understand one another's language, it didn't alter the fact that they were Jews and not Gentiles. And then if you move along the story to Acts 10, when Peter himself is faced with Cornelius, a Gentile, who wanted to know the way of salvation, and Peter looked him up and down and said, it's not lawful for a man that is a Jew to be seen in company of one of another nation, but what can we do? What was Peter doing if he knew the church began at Pentecost? He says, how can we forbid? How can we forbid? Who was I that could withstand God? He would have forbidden if God hadn't intervened. So you see, we get this coming from the various nations. How long was it between the crucifixion of Christ and the day of Pentecost? Just seven weeks. How long would it take these people who travel from the various nations to get to the Feast of Pentecost? Would it take them practically seven weeks to make their arrangements and get their bookings and travel there? They were not attending a church ceremony. They were attending a Jewish feast, the same as they had the year before and the year before that. So we you look at the nations from which they came. It says, verse 7, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? 
and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in parts of Libya about Cyrene. If you'd counted those, number, those nations, you'd find there's twelve of them. Then it sums them all up. Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And to this whole company, Peter, the conservative, who would not speak, would not be found in the company of a Gentile, he says, men and brethren, he continually speaks to them as men and brethren, those who were connected with Israel uh, and the fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What it seems to me then, if we're going to adhere to the book, if we're going to stand by what it says, here we have not the beginning of the church, but the second opportunity given to these people who crucified Christ. He said, you challenge Jerusalem and begin again and give them the witness all over again. And what's the call? Repent, repent, repent. Now they came to him in the first chapter and said, wilt thou at this time restore again? Restore again doesn't mean start something new. Restore again the kingdom to Israel. He said, well, you leave that, you go on. Uh, that's the thing I can't say yes or no about. Peter stands up on the third chapter, as we shall see presently, and says, repent. For the time of restitution of all things is at hand. Restore, restitution, and he will send back Jesus. Well, that's all to do with this people's hopes of a restoration, a restitution, a time of, uh, when it says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and so on. But would it take place? We don't know, unless we read the book. But we see there came a time when there was raised up another man who said to this very people, who had had all this witness, seeing you count yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's where the door opens for you and me. That's in the Acts 13, not in Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, no, no, no. So, if we just patiently wait, God's not forgotten us. But if we intrude and get into the wrong box, we may have the Lord saying to us, how camest thou in hither? You see, rightly dividing the word of truth robs you of nothing, but it gives you your own, so that you can stand square and firm upon thus saith the Lord. Have a little pity for me, friends, when I've got Acts 1 to 28 to canvas. I'll have a little pity for you too. Uh, but there's one thing about it. I don't see anybody here having a comfortable snooze. You come in here to, I, I hope, to give me the opportunity of breaking the bread of life. But of course, unless you patiently masticate it, digest it, afterwards it may give you spiritual indigestion, but I hope not.